You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by our affiliate partnership with Fairhaven Health. Fairhaven Health provides science-based products for your journey to parenthood from fertility through pregnancy, breastfeeding, and beyond. They've been an industry leader in providing products for trying to conceive couples, including fertility supplements for women and men, ovulation predictor tools, fertility-friendly lubricants, and so much more. I've personally used Fairhaven Health products since late 2017 and all throughout my pregnancy and postpartum period with my double rainbow. They were a must-have. My love for this company is why I proudly partner with them whenever I get the chance. To learn more about Fairhaven Health and to support our show, visit themiscarriagedoula.co slash fairhavenhealth, and you'll also find a promo code for 15% off there. All righty. Um... My husband and I got married in September of 2015, and we started trying in March of 2016, so we waited a little bit after we got married, and um, we did like the ovulation kit, predictor kits, and stuff like that, but obviously wasn't working, so at a year, I ended up switching my OBs. Because I knew once I did get pregnant, I would want to birth with this specific practice, not with the one that I was with, like, just for normal, like, gynecological care. So I went ahead and switched to them to kind of get that over with. And that is who ordered, like, the first testing, like, the HSG and the blood work. Um, And that's who took care of that. All of my blood work came back fine at the beginning, but you know, they just do that like beginning test, like your thyroid and like progesterone, maybe like literally the very baseline, like three things, all of those came back fine. And then the HSG was fine as well. Um, it was done at, um, our local hospital and my, uh, one of the OBs in the practice did it and it was fine. Um, my experience wasn't bad with that at all. And, um, obviously results were fine. So we started with Clomid, um, because at that point we didn't think anything was really wrong. Um, and that was the summer of 2017, I think. It's been a while now. Um, we did three rounds of that. And in that time frame, like, obviously that's about three months because, you know, you do a round of Clomid every cycle. In that time frame, hit my husband's semen analysis was ordered. And the first one came back not great results, but it also wasn't the best sample either. So we just assumed that that was why. So we had to repeat that. And by the time we were, like, done with our third round of Clomid, obviously none of them were successful. Um, his results came back pretty much the same as the first one. 
So at that point, we kind of knew we also had some male factor going on. Um, his count was low, morphology was low, motility was low. What's the other one? The last one? There's three of them, isn't there? That is it. Count, fertility, morphology. Yeah. All of them were just a little low. So, like, not great, but there was obviously some there. So, at that point, my OB pretty much released us from his care. He's like, I can't really do much else for you. And I had already had um, an RE, a reproductive endocrinologist, in mind because I had started going to an in-person support group through the clinic um, that, like, they were holding it. Um, It was open to everyone, but it was housed in, or, like, waiting room. So I already knew that I just wanted to go there. I think I started going there in the summer of 2017, kind of, like, around the time when we started the Climate Cycles. And that obviously (laughs) pre-COVID when we could meet with people. It was so helpful and eye-opening to hear everyone else's stories and, you know, everyone's journey and infertility is so different. Like there's not one alike. It's so crazy. Um, So it was super awesome to be able to go to that. So we knew, I knew this, that's where I wanted to go. So we had our first like consultation with him in right after Labor Day of 2017. So like that second week in September. And we found out, so my clinic um, has like their finance department that will like check into your insurance for you and kind of take that legwork on for you, which I thought was really nice. And I actually found out that I had fertility coverage. Um, I, at that point, it's a different plan that we have now. We still have fertility coverage. It's just not as good at that point. I think we had like 20 or $30,000 a year to spend for fertility. Some people like have like a max lifetime cap that they can spend. Ours was every year. So we were so thankful because we left the initial consultation pretty defeated. Um, that is also when I got diagnosed with PCOS as well, which my symptoms were there. Like I'm a textbook PCOS person. I just didn't put two and two together. Um, I had really bad acne in my twenties, like weird. I had, um, like weight gain, but like just kind of in my belly area. So that was frustrating. I was tired and like fatigued all the time. However, I was working a full-time job and a couple part-time jobs at the time. Um, So I just thought I was like working myself to death. And then (laughs) um, I had like the hair growth that sometimes you get with PCOS. Um, Again, I just kind of attributed all of those symptoms to like other things. I never really put two and two together. Um, But my RE, he had ran, like, the more, like, in detailed, like, blood work and all that stuff. And my insulin did come back high, too. So I am one that has insulin resistance PCOS. And the common, like, what you see on the ultrasound of, like, 
the lots of follicles, but none of them are really big or good enough or whatever. Right. So we left pretty defeated from the first appointment because I just got slapped with the diagnosis of PCOS. We knew my husband's sperm wasn't great. So now we're working with dual factor infertility. At this time, we didn't know if we had insurance coverage. So we were like, what do we do? Is this a sign that we aren't supposed to like have biological children? Should we go straight to adoption? Like, what should we do? And then a couple weeks later, we get that call that we have the insurance coverage. So we kind of knew it was like meant to be. Um, However, with the dual factor, we were given the quote unquote percentages of like conceiving and like naturally was like under 1%. IUI was like 5 to 10% and IVF was like 60 to 75%. So he obviously said, obviously IVF is your best chance. Um, Percentage wise, you know, it will get your baby quicker. Um, Preferably not wasting money doing IUI with chances that low just because of the dual factor. So because we had the insurance coverage, we went ahead and jumped in. We literally got in on the November cycle. Like we had our first appointment in September and got in in November. Like we only had to wait a month. It was pretty crazy. So we started doing the STEM meds for retrieval. And then my retrieval was November 16th, I think, kind of in the middle of November. And they got, I think, 18 eggs. I don't know. I'm pretty fuzzy, and it's been a while. It was like 17, 18, 19, something like that. So that was really good, common for a PCOS, or though, is to get a good amount of eggs. Obviously, you want them to be mature and, like, good. I don't remember how many were mature. I think most of them were, like, 16 were all good and mature. And then we did choose to do ICSI because of my son's, my son, my husband's sperm issue. Um, So ICSI is where, for those who don't know, where they kind of like choose the sperm and kind of like inject it to the egg instead of letting them like go together. They like force them together. So we did do ICSI. We had nine fertilized. We got a day three report that all nine were still growing like they should. And then our day five report, we had three reach blastocysts and go to the freezer. We were doing a freeze all. We were not um, doing a fresh transfer. My doctor just thinks the case, like the results are better with frozen transfers. And I have to agree with him in the fact that it does give your body a rest, too. It's like you pump it so full of hormones for retrieval that, it like, it gives it time to kind of, like, detox and rest after that before gearing up for a transfer. But I know people that obviously have great success with fresh transfers, too. Um, so three went to the freezer, and then they said that they were watching one more that it was just a little bit behind of the other ones, and they thought it would be fine. So. And it was. So day six, we had that last one go to the freezer. So we ended up with four embryos frozen. We chose not to do PGS testing. Insurance does not cover that part. 
so we didn't really want to pay out of pocket for it. And because we were young, um, I was 23, 24 when we started IVF. Um, so they, they kind of said like, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, the chances are good. You guys are young, blah, blah, blah. You know, the spiel you get sometimes. Um, so that was November, December, we went ahead and, um, geared up for a frozen transfer. We, my clinic doesn't grade the embryos. And if they do, they don't tell you, like they just say good, fair, and poor. They don't give you like the 5AA or 6AB that some of the clinics do. So I do not know what our embryos were. All I know is we had one good and three fairs. And I kind of like that. So we trained- I think that's, that would make yeah. me less anxious about the grading and comparing. Yes. And he, the way they make it sound is the poor ones usually like don't survive anyway. So you're going to have good and fair. Like that's pretty much all that right. you're going to get. Um, so we had one good. We transferred that one first. December 22nd is when we transferred that one. I, my clinic does do a trigger shot protocol for transfers. So that means you're taking that shot of HCG on transfer day, I think, to kind of like trick your body. Like you're getting this HCG and then hopefully it would like continue to make it on your own because you hopefully have a baby in there. So that makes testing at home a little difficult because you are testing out a trigger essentially. Um, but I still did it because I'm just like that. I feel like people are testers and not testers. <laughs> I'm a tester. So I tested it out and my tests never really went completely negative. Like I always had a line. Um, however, that my first blood test, my beta test was over the holiday because we were right at New Year's. So I feel like New Year's was like on a Monday that year or something, or it was on the weekend and they were closed to like observe New Year's on Monday. So like it was pushed even farther. And I don't think my beta was till like day 12 or 13. And usually they do them like 10, 11. So on day 10 and 11, my test started getting fainter, not darker. And we want, obviously, them to get darker because it means your number's going up. And then by the time, it like the morning of my beta, it was like barely there. Like it was a squinter for sure. So that left me a little defeated, but it was still positive. So, you know, positive is positive. So I get the call very late that night. They did not call until like 6.30 because something happened with like, I don't know if they run them there or if they send them out to a lab, but something happened where they just were like kind of behind because of the holiday. Like they had a lot and I don't know, something. So they didn't get call us until 6.30 and my beta was a 5.6, which my clinic considers everything over five pregnant. But obviously that is so low that we know it's not a viable pregnancy. And so we went back two days later to get a repeat blood draw. 
and it was under five. I think it was like three or two or something. So I officially had a chemical pregnancy with that one. And we were pretty crushed, especially because that was our only good embryo. Like you kind of think in your head, like if that's our good one, obviously these fair ones aren't going to work. But we, because my beta was so low and it dropped pretty quickly, I just stopped all of my meds, had a period at home. Nothing was too traumatic. It was just like a heavy period. I didn't see anything. Um, It wasn't a traumatic experience for me. I did not choose to do anything to like memorialize that baby or anything. Um, I know of some who will like get little blankets or an outfit and like maybe bury it or make a box or something. I just chose not to do that. Um, I don't know. At the time I was just so overwhelmed. I think just being like in IVF mode and I don't know. I think sometimes I think that because it was an early loss, I didn't need to do that. I don't know. Sometimes I wish I would have though. Yeah. I think chemical pregnancies get kind of confusing for people in in their grief because you don't really know where you stand. Yes. Like you didn't get to see the baby, but you knew it was there. So yeah, it is kind of like that weird limbo a little bit. Um, Mm. But we went ahead and jumped into another transfer because everything went so quickly and I had a cycle pretty much right on time of like, I wasn't delayed or anything. I think the stopping, like the hard stop of all the meds kind of just like helps kick your body into like a a period. And then like nothing was delayed for me. So that was good. So we went ahead and jumped into a transfer in January and we transferred our first fair embryo on January 24th. And we, Hold on, sorry. Pause. No, I didn't. <laughs> he was like, I was the shock giver. I did really good. Oh. <laughs> um, Make sure he gets so credit trans- for the work he did. <laughs> oh, for sure. He was a very good shock giver. I do have to give him that. Um, so we transferred our embryo on January 24th. Did the same thing tested out my trigger. Same thing happened again. My line never went away. This time it did get darker. It's exciting. Um, But obviously we were guarded because of what happened the previous month. And the same thing happened again. Like right the morning of beta, my line went light again. I was very frustrated. So when she called and said my beta was in the 500s, my jaw dropped. Like, I was shocked. I was like, are you serious? Like, are you sure that's, like, mine? Um, She was like, yeah. I don't remember the exact number. 550-something? 556, maybe? I don't know. It was pretty high. So, (laughs) my husband was at work because I just assumed that it, like, was doing the same thing and it was, like, going to be really low. He wasn't home with me, so I had to call him while I was at work and be like, I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) so anticlimactic um nothing cute about that and then 
obviously go back two days later for a repeat and it was over a thousand. They usually, you know, look for it to double, but at least rise by 60%. It was over a thousand. So I checked that box, moved to the next. Um, my clinic does a third beta the week after. So you do like the first one and then you do your second one two days later and then you do one a week after that. Um, just to make sure numbers are rising and make sure your progesterone is okay. Mine was fine. I think that number was like 14,000 something. It's like insane. Um, so my clinic also does not schedule ultrasound usually until six weeks exactly or seven weeks exactly. They don't want to like to do it at that like five week mark because at that point like you're going to see something but you're not always going to see a heartbeat so they want to really like not drag out the process and like make sure we know we should be seeing a heartbeat at this point this is what we're looking for i feel like it was seven weeks that's what my clinic was seven weeks for that reason yeah i'm pretty sure it was seven weeks yes and i did not video it because i was so nervous like Literally thought I was going to puke. I was so nervous. Um, But all was good. Baby was there. Um, Heartbeat was strong. And there was actually another sack. My one little fair embryo tried to split to another one. Isn't that so crazy? I don't think I numbers that. That makes sense. Yes, my numbers were high because of that. Obviously no baby in that sack, but like. When they put Wanda in and, like, you know, they first, like, kind of swipe over and you can see pretty much everything, there's a big blob there and then there's another big blob and then obviously a little blob inside the big blob. And I literally said, is that inside my uterus? Like, it was really (laughs) weird to see. It was very confusing. So, um, and... The nurse practitioners at my clinic usually do the OB ultrasounds. So she, like, went and got the RE to, like, make sure that they were looking at it correctly. So that was, like, a little concerning, too. But, but yeah, he um, – it was a boy. My son was there, and healthy heart was beating. So at the eight-week one is when we videoed it so that we could have a video of the ultrasound and, like, hear his heartbeat. And then we had another one at nine weeks. Everything was going good. And that other sack just um, kind of shriveled up on his own. I did have some bleeding in between that eight and nine week mark, but it was just because of like the fluid around it and it shrinking. That's kind of what caused the bleeding. It wasn't super heavy or anything, just like kind of like spotting, but red spotting, obviously it freaks you out a little bit during pregnancy, but they like had warned me that that may happen. So I kind of expected it to, to be there. So at nine weeks, I graduated from the RE clinic and went to back to my OB office. Had a great pregnancy. Um, had an unplanned C-section. So that kind of sucked, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) And we brought, our rainbow baby home and it was the most amazing thing ever um I even in the hard moments I try to be so thankful 
I had a kid that never liked to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Like I would just like rock him and look at him and be like, I still love you even though you won't sleep. (laughs) Um, But we are super thankful for him. He is two and a half almost. He'll be three in October. Um, We, I always knew I wanted a bit of a break in between my kids. I'm the only child, so um, I don't have experience with siblings. My husband has a lot of siblings, but I knew I did not want them really close together. One, because I wanted to nurse as long as he wanted to, and two, I don't know. I just, that's just something I personally wanted was just them to not be super close together. Um, So, my original plan was to not transfer again until CJ was three. Well, my husband started getting antsy. <laughs> so CJ was, how old was he? Almost two. No. I honestly don't remember at this point. But we transferred again in August of twenty. 20. So yeah, he was too. Um, again, another fair embryo. Again, I tested out my trigger. The lines never went away. Positive again. Good beta. A little bit lower than CJ's. I think my beta was like close to 200, just under 200. Well, rised up just fine. Um, the th- third beta was great. I go in for the ultrasound. Now we're in COVID world. My husband is not with me. Um, Because he could not go, I just told him to just go to work. Like, I didn't feel like there was any point in him just sitting in the car. Um, Now I wish he would have because the second she put Wanda in, I could tell that there was nothing there. Um, Which... There ended up being a baby there. It was just a little bit behind, and there was no heartbeat. So that's probably the worst feeling I've had in my whole life and out of the whole process of infertility, IVF, all of that. It just was, like, soul-crushing because I just got my hopes up and I thought everything was going so smoothly like it did with CJ that I did not expect it at all. I just, I really didn't. I um, was a little naive, I guess. So unfortunately they wanted to do another ultrasound in a couple days, like three to five days to see if there was going to be any growth. And that maybe things were just behind, but with a frozen transfer, you know, the dates, like there's no, well, maybe I ovulated late or something like that. You pretty much know. And in hindsight, I would not have done that second ultrasound, but I was overwhelmed and I didn't know any better. So I go in, I'm pretty sure that first ultrasound was like a Monday or Tuesday. And then the other one was on a Friday. And same thing, baby was still measuring at like six weeks one day, no heartbeat present. 
um, I mean, the cavity like almost looked empty. You had to, they had to like zoom in just to see the baby. Um, so at that point they gave me the three options. The let it happen on your own naturally. The take the pill and do it at home or do the DNC. And I had already made up my mind before I went into that second ultrasound that I wanted the DNC. Um, I just, I did not want to do it at home. And because it was a little bit later, because at that point I was like almost eight weeks, I didn't want to see it at home. Um, I had heard so many stories and just on Instagram and through support group and all that stuff that I just don't think I could do that. And with a toddler at home, you can't just be like laying around and like waiting for it to happen. And what if it happens at work? Like I don't really have the time to take off work for a couple weeks. Just, yeah, I just, for me and our situation, I felt like the DNC was the easiest and quickest way to handle it. And the less, the least, like, I don't know, traumatic, heartbreaking, um, which it ended up being traumatic in its own way, mainly because of COVID. Um, my husband had to sit out, like, so at the, oh, and another thing, my RE office does not do DNCs. So yes, then mine is. I had to freaking call my OB office and try and get in and they wanted to see me for their own ultrasound before they would perform the DNC. Oh, so that's, that's cool. I know. I know. That's why I said in hindsight I wouldn't have done that second one with the RE. I would have just immediately called the OB, did the second one with them because they needed their own and been able to move forward faster because then because that second ultrasound with my RE was on a Friday. I couldn't get in with my OB until Tuesday. It was a weekend. Oh. So then it's dragged out even more. So I made the decision to keep doing my meds, keep doing the progesterone and oil shots and everything because I didn't want it to happen on its own at home. That was another, like, form of torture. But it's the only thing I knew to do to, you know, prevent it happening at home. So... I kept doing all my meds, got into the OB on Tuesday, and thankfully, because he is the sweetest man on the earth, I walk in there, or he walks into the room and says, I'm not doing another ultrasound. Your RE's office sent me the the um, pictures of it. I believe them. I'm not going to torture you. And I literally was like, oh my gosh, you are so you're just the best ever. Thank you. So he also scheduled me before I left that day. And I'm pretty sure I got in literally the next day on his schedule. I think that happened to be, he has like an OR day for like just procedures he does. And I'm pretty sure Wednesday was like his day. So I was able to get in for the DNC the next day. So that was nice. I didn't have to wait for that. However, again, we're in COVID world. So that meant um, at the hospital, like the main waiting room, my husband had to stay there. 
while I went back to like there was like a kind of a secondary waiting room until you got like placed in your like op pre-op room so that was it was sucky to just like sit there by myself be hooked up to the IV like just go through all of that by yourself get a COVID test that's annoying it just yeah um the procedure itself though went quick obviously I was asleep I don't know um but it literally only took like 25-30 minutes I think um when I got to recovery my dog sorry you're fine um when I got to recovery and like woke up I just started bawling I know it's common to like be emotional just after getting anesthesia but then obviously literally being there for a dnc knowing i just essentially passed my baby in the operating room it just like and being by myself literally there's no one around besides one nurse like just bald um so that was pretty traumatic in its own way but i still do not regret the decision of how i did it um they take you to like post-op, whatever they call it. You sit in the chair and make sure that you're not going to like faint or something. They give you a snack and then they send you on your way. It's like kind of weird how like not of a big deal it is. Um, but I will say that every nurse, every, I had like weirdly three like people from anesthesia come in, like the actual anesthesiologist his assistant and then like the nurse's anesthetist. I don't know why there needs to be that many people, but everyone that walked in my room apologized for my loss. Were so sweet and caring. Like the care was above and beyond for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, do we care? Do you care if I pause so I can let him out? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Totally fine. I I listened back to it anyway, so you're totally fine. <laughs> So, yeah, that was my journey in a nutshell. (laughs) Um, We still have our one other day six fair embryo left. Um, I do not want to transfer that until next year. We have some plans. Like, we want to go on a vacation this year within the United States safely. With CJ, we just want to have CJ um, see the beach for the first time. And just a couple, like, we have a couple weddings, like, just some things that, like, we want to do without worrying about, like, doing a transfer, bringing meds, or being early pregnant, and um, feeling sick, or going through another miscarriage, and missing out on some things. When I just lost this most recent baby, that weekend, so I had my DNC on a Wednesday, we were supposed to go to a wedding on Saturday, and I did not go. Like, you know, just... I hate when it ruins life plans. Um, So we don't plan to do that until next year, maybe later. And then if that doesn't work, we will start all over again from the beginning. Um, We are so lucky to have insurance coverage that, yes, it does still cost us a lot of money, but it's nowhere near what people have to pay. Um, Speaking of paying, they build my insurance, $14,000 for the DNC. Isn't that crazy? It's insane. 
It's literally insane. It like, costs more to have a miscarriage than it does to give full-term live birth and bring home a baby. Yeah. I mean, mine was a little higher just because I had a C-section, but yes, oh, like true. it was like pretty much, I think my C-section was like 28,000. Um, and the, so crazy. I know. Now I did only pay a thousand dollars out of pocket. So I am very thankful for that. We were just at the point where we had already like met our deductible and we may have already hit our out of pocket at that point. I'm not sure, but, um, the thousand dollars was still a little high, but worth it. Um, yeah. Post DNC, I didn't have really any complications. I bled for a couple days, but it wasn't anything crazy, nothing heavy. I wasn't in any pain. I did end up taking the rest of the week off. So I had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off work. Um, and I just spent a lot. I mean, I spent that whole time with CJ, just really soaking in one-on-one time with him. Um, I helped heal me for sure. And just kind of like move on. Um, I'm an Enneagram 7, so I don't really like like to dwell <laughs> in things. I move pretty quickly. I'm always busy. So like, I just didn't want to like dwell in it. Um, so I tried to get like him out and we did lots of activities and just soaked in the time with him to be super thankful that I have him because I know there's so many out there who don't have their rainbow babies yet or, um, have lost their rainbow babies and everything like that. So yeah, um, it was good. It was a good time to have with him. And then once my next cycle came, that was traumatic. So heavy. Like I probably should have went back to the hospital. Like I had gotten up I mean, I assumed that it was coming. It was, like, right on track, but I didn't know what to expect. I knew a lot of people were kind of irregular after miscarriages and stuff like that, so I had no idea what to expect. And I was sitting on the floor with CJ, and I went to get up, and I took a couple steps, and I just felt like I was, like, peeing myself. I, like, put my hand on the wall, and I was like, am I peeing myself? And then I took a couple more steps, and I could, like, feel, I'm going to get a little graphic here, feel like a big, like, clot come out. And I was like, oh my God, like my heart sank. And I ran to the bathroom because I knew obviously it was blood. It was everywhere. And I have a toddler running around outside. Like, I'm pretty sure he was like getting into something. Like he was like spraying his yogurt everywhere or something. Like I have yogurt to clean up. I'm all bloody. I have to change my clothes. I have to clean up. It was, I was unprepared for that. And that continued for like a week, like passing huge clots, so much blood, so much blood. It was not only traumatic because of everything that I went to, but I also had never had a history of like really heavy or bad periods. So I wasn't used to that. Like I'm lucky to have like pretty chill, little crampy, not super heavy, it was insane. Um, I did message my provider, like my OB practice on like, you know how like you can message them through like the my chart or whatever that you, you guys call it at your practice. So I did message, message her and she of course said the standard 
that's that can be normal but if you're concerned come in <laughs> like all the nurses say I know they can't really say anything else but um and I just didn't want to really go in there like what were they gonna do just do yeah. another ultrasound to see what was going on like I just I just didn't want to take the effort to do that and like to be there like all bloody and if they did want to do an ultrasound it's gonna be messy I just I just don't want to deal with it so luckily that ended and the next cycle after that wasn't as bad but it was still pretty bad still pretty heavy still passing clots not as dramatic but still heavy finally like the third and fourth and fifth cycles were back to normal I never was a regular, like it was still like right on target month wise, like week wise. So I'm thankful for that. But hooey, I wish I would have been prepared for that. I don't feel like a lot of people talk about it. I know you do. And I know you have that, those amazing posts on like what to have at home and stuff like that. I am glad that I had stuff at home. Like I had extra pads and I had my um earth mama like perineal spray that's like cooling that stuff is amazing um and just some other things but yeah I just was not prepared for that and it was pretty traumatic I don't know if I've heard from people who've had DNCs that they experienced that heavy of bleeding. Like I'm, I'm telling you, I, I talk to women all the time about miscarriage and I honestly don't hear that. I, I know can't recall I don't, a time. So that's so interesting. I don't, that was your I don't think I have either. And like I said, right after the DNC, the bleeding I had was super chill, no pain, anything. It was those first two like periods that were insane. Yeah, I don't know. But if anyone else experienced that, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it was like um, tissue left over that your body had to work a little harder at that period to get out, which I think so it just too. seems so terrible. I know. And I'm wondering if like my C-section, like I just, you know, maybe have a little scarring in there. So yeah. then to like have the trauma of like a DNC where they're like, scraping or sucking or whatever they do in there it was just a lot of trauma I think for my uterus so I think it just kind of like freaked out yeah well and from your story I wrote down a couple of questions so the insulin um insulin resistant PCOS is that correct yep did you have to add anything to your protocol in IVF because you're insulin um resistant yes I did do metformin extended release three times a day, um, which did help my insulin come down. It did help me feel better. I did do the extended release because metformin is known to give you like crazy GI symptoms. Like literally you would be in the bathroom all the time. Um, and the extended release helped alleviate some of that. Um, I am not on metformin now. My doctor's pretty, um, big on like only pushing the meds for, a short amount of time to get that baby and then he's really big into like the more holistic approaches like eating better (laughs) less processed food pairing your carbs with protein don't be drinking pop all the time you know like just healthy eating to help that insulin but yes I did do the metformin three times a day 
And when you spend so much money on IVF and infertility and then have a miscarriage, like eating healthy, you really can't afford it. (laughs) I literally had, I know so many people in the infertility world have McDonald's French fries after their transfers, but I, um, we actually had, I actually, I think it's local here to Ohio. I don't think you guys have it, um, in North Carolina, but it's called Roosters. It's like a, just like a bar where they sell chicken. So I had, I had chicken and fries, but it was from Roosters, not uh, McDonald's, both, uh, both transfers. Well, good. And I think, I think that creating things like that is really good because whenever you do what you see is like the popular thing on Instagram that seems to always give good juju to people. And then if it doesn't work for you, you're like, well, why did that work for everybody else? So it's like creating (laughs) your own path. Yeah. Um, something else with, so with your son, CJ, and having his embryo split and having the twin that it was like the quote unquote vanishing twin, mm-hmm. did, you, did they consider that another miscarriage or did you feel any grief from that? Or are you really focused more on seeing that CJ was growing? I did just focus on CJ. I did not grieve that at all, mainly because we obviously weren't expecting it. I think it would have been different if we transferred two embryos. And we That's had, what I was thinking. That's an interesting, yeah. I've never thought about it. Um, how I, like I would even feel personally if I knew yeah. it was two embryos versus one that split because it's like you still have that life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such yep. an interesting, and, I've never thought about that. And I don't think that they, not that I saw that they like wrote in my chart or anything that it was like, they did call it a vanishing twin, but they never said it was like a miscarriage or anything like that. Right. And like I said, they did warn me about the bleeding that may happen. Um, when it started to shrink, but like it was very minimal. And yeah, I don't think they considered that um, miscarriage, but yeah, we were just thankful for CJ and I was just shocked it even happened. Like you don't really hear about that like ever. I feel yeah. like. Well, and it's crazy that you transferred one embryo. It's That's split. fair. Yeah, yeah. A fair embryo that split and then had a vanishing twin. So like half of the embryo was strong enough to become a baby. Like that's the craziest thing to me. If you really sit there and think about how all of that had to work out, it's just crazy. DJ is like the spunkiest, like most wired child ever. (laughs) He is go, go, go. And obviously I know a lot of boys are like that, but he is literally go, go, go 24 seven and has no chill about him. (laughs) That's like his personality for sure. Yeah. Somebody sent me a message on Instagram tonight saying, just so you know, boys are more like, wild and don't sit still the girls and I was like oh thanks nobody told me that until he was a year old (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah Yeah. well it's quite the journey I appreciate you sharing it with me even though I know parts of it from connecting with you on Instagram it's nice to hear it all together because I think I remember you reaching out um around this last miscarriage, right? Because we talked about the options and I think I like bluntly told you like get the DNC because that's my biggest regret. And now I just don't hold back when people ask me. Yes. I I asked for your advice. Yeah. And you definitely were helpful in making that decision for sure. Um, cause you weren't the only like story I had read about like having miscarriage at home and just like how traumatic it was. And I mean, you even like had to go back to the hospital and everything. So um, I, I hope that you feel comfort in that, that you truly are 
changing lives and that you are helping people like me make decisions that we should never have to decide. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, uh, knocking on wood that I never go through that again, but if I do, like, I will just spend the money for the DNC the next time. I, I will not try to act tough or try to save money by doing it at home. Like there's just no, I can understand whenever you've never gone through it, just thinking, oh, it can't be that bad. Everybody just says it's a heavy period. But even the recovery is really difficult after a DNC. Like I remember feeling sore and, you know, just on top of the emotional toll. Like it's just, you don't need to deal with the physical miscarriage as well. Yeah, for sure. It's not fair. Not at all. I wish nobody had to go through it. Um, I've had a friend who has had um, a stillbirth as well. And walking through that with her is like, it was really eye-opening just in her journey with that and all the heartbreak and that comes with that too. So um, nobody should ever have to go through any of it. Infertility, loss, anything. I would never wish it upon even my worst enemy. Yeah, same. Same. Well, Kim, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and allowing me to share it on this platform. I know it's going to help so many people because you're not the only one who's experienced quote unquote chemical pregnancies and, you know, felt confused about that grief and then go on to have a healthy child and still experience loss. It's a really hard pattern to be in. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for, for doing what you're doing and to think that your Instagram started as private. How can I I know (laughs) there is now in the community you've built and the relationships you've built. Um, thankful for you for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful for you because you helped me so much. And I think you're one of the first accounts that I connected with. So I think that we've connected over Instagram for like the last three years. (laughs) And people are welcome to follow me if you want to like tag my handle, but I don't like share like the journey quote unquote, like you have and like some other infertility accounts, but you want to see pictures of my cute son. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you're really helpful. Um, like when people message you and stuff too, you're a wealth of knowledge. So you're a great person for people to reach out to. Yes, feel free. So I'll put your handle in the show notes. Sounds good. And I'm on Facebook too. So perfect. Okay, Kim. Well, I'll let you know whenever this is about to go live.